Well, good morning. I'm Ted Haug. I'm one of the elders here at Bethesda. And it's my great pleasure today to have the opportunity to speak to you, to my family in Christ here at Bethesda Church. Um, I chose today to talk about the Advent, most particularly about why should we celebrate the Advent. And I'm going to do it in a very non-linear fashion, which is very not Ted. <laughs> and there's not as much scripture as there would normally be with Ted. So this, is, this one will be a bit of a challenge uh, for me, and hopefully not so much of a challenge for you. So let me uh, read again with a little extra of what Matt read before uh, to begin. So Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, verse 2 and 6 and 7. So verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to send us your Son. We thank you for setting times and seasons and that for this season we choose to concentrate on your Son and on his advent and on his coming and on his coming again. So Lord, I ask your presence here. I ask you that you would give me those words that you would have me to speak and that those that are of me, you would take from my mind. Be with us as we start this journey. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So in my house growing up, Christmas was a big deal. Very, very big deal. My mom loved Christmas. My mom loved to give gifts. But she really loved Christmas. She loved the decorations. She loved the tree. Um, we, you know, I grew up in the, the late 60s and the 70s. We had the little you know, wheel with the four colors on it that would shine on the tinsel on the tree and it would be different colors. We'd, we had it all. And parties. There were always parties. We went to other people's house. Other people came to our house. And the most important thing 
in the Christmas season at our house was that we went to my mother's parents' house on Christmas Eve. And we did that no matter what. We drove through blizzards that you had no business being out in because we were going to be there. Like I said, my mom loved gifts. She loved giving. There was an embarrassment of gifts. We have pictures. There's, there's mounds of gifts. And we weren't well off or anything, but my mom loved to give. She was also, like many parents, I find, not having had kids, so I don't, some of this doesn't quite work for me in my head, but, but I talk with others, and the, there was a very strict, everybody had to have the same number of presents, there had to be about the same nominal value for each child. These were important things. We understood that Christmas was about Jesus, was about his birth. But it was a lot about parties. It was a lot about gifts. It was a lot about family. Until I was about 10 years old, and, and this is going to seem kind of disjointed, folks, so just stay with me. It, it all comes together in the end. <laughs> Uh, until I was about 10 years old, we went to the Presbyterian Reformed Church in Willow Lake. Um, that was the church that my dad and his family went to when he was growing up. Uh, my Haug cousins, for the most part, went to the Lutheran, one of the Lutheran churches in Willow Lake. And there's a long story for why they would go to the Lutheran church and why we went to the Presbyterian church. Just like you probably have stories in your family of these things. But nonetheless, when I was about 10 or so, we, we, uh, my mom, I think, finally prevailed <laughs> uh, in, in what she wanted for us. And we started going to a Baptist church in Lake Norden. So instead of 10 minutes to Willow Lake, it was 30 minutes to Lake Norden, to a little Baptist church there. And so, through my cousins, um, through our family, through doing different churches, we had exposure to a lot of different denominational um, ways to do Christmas, ways to do worship. Um, but I don't remember anything about Advent. I don't remember Advent, these five or four or six, depending on who you are, when you are, what you do for Advent, these six Sundays. I don't remember that uh, being a thing. What I do remember is that always in December, you sang lots of Christmas songs, and most importantly, and probably the thing you dreaded most about Christmas as a child, because usually you're very excited about Christmas, except that there's the Christmas pageant, the Christmas play, where you dress up 
for church as something, and many children memorize a piece. Others of us hold it in our hand and read it. And, of course, others are just stricken with sheer terror and stand and cry. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I've done them all. But that was, that was what Christmas was. It was that, and then, and then it was done. You know, the Sunday after Christmas, we're back to how great thou art. We're, 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 we're on. We didn't even go to Christmas Eve service. I, I never went to a Christmas Eve service until I was in my 20s. Probably the biggest reason for that is it was much more important that we went to my grandparents' house for Christmas Eve than we would go, than we would go to church. But nonetheless, we, we didn't do that. And so because of all of that, for me, growing up, Christmas tended to be, uh, shall we say, more secularly focused. Uh, it was a lot more about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the show, and Frosty the Snowman. Um, we did, you know, again, like I said, we knew it was about Jesus' birth, so we really liked the Peanuts Christmas and Linus's uh, little homily on what Christmas was really all about. We were, you know, I, I wouldn't say we cheered, but we thought that was really great uh, and really cool. But that was about it. I was way more about the get than the give. And in fact, Christmas had kind of been crunched down into a two-day deal that you actually lived in about six hours out of the two days of going to my, parent, my grandma and grandpa's for Christmas Eve, and there was a lot of baggage that went with that, and Christmas Day. Christmas Day when you opened your presents and stuff. Christmas, Christmas Day and opening presents and all that, that, that was a particular time that landed after morning chores, but before dinner, and dinner was good because there was lots of Norwegian goodies that came with Christmas dinner, so that was good. And then shortly thereafter, you followed up with evening chores, and just like in church, once we were done with evening chores on Christmas, Christmas was done. <laughs> It was kind of a selfish and self-centered time. When we came to uh, Bethesda, was really the first time that, that I had, had been exposed very much to Advent, to having this several weeks leading up, uh, to an Advent candle, to readings, to uh, making a big thing about it. And it was awesome. It changed my focus. It changed me from thinking about what I was going to get or what I was going to give and what we're going to do for our parties and what we're going to do for our two special days 
to thinking over the course of several weeks about Christmas, about why is Christmas, about what is Christmas. Although, it did strike me as oddly liturgical <laughs> a thing for an Anabaptist free church to be doing this kind of set-piece thing. And I wondered how that became a part of, of uh, Bethesda's Christmas tradition, and I still don't know, so who, whoever does know can enlighten me later. Um, but as I was pondering that, I thought, you know, this is like a lot of things we do. We say the Lord's Prayer. Some churches say the Apostles' Creed. Some churches have a very specific way they go about doing their services and what they talk about and what they can and even read canned sermons. Those things become so familiar as to they have no meaning. I was interested in what, what, what is Advent, in looking at that. And so I started doing some research. So, the first time anything approaching Advent, what we would consider Advent, shows up is in 380 A.D. at the Council of Sargosa. I'm sure you're all very familiar with it and what it was, what it was dealing with. Uh, that council was actually called because there was a particularly pernicious Gnostic uh, doctrine that had come up that was very specifically uh, and very pointedly on the light and dark, the spiritual and the fleshly, and ne'er shall the twain meet, right? And as a result of this, the, the Council of Sargosa, what, what, what they came up with was we need to focus on what Jesus's reality is. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus a spirit of light and not of matter? Is, you know, all of this stuff. And the way they came about that was to pick particular passages over time. Look at this. We're going to look at this passage. We're going to pray over this. We're going to use this to help people understand who Jesus really is and to bat, combat this particular uh, heresy. It went on like that, off and on. There's not a lot of it for a while. At the point in time where uh, December 25th got decided upon to be Christmas Day, then Advent really became a thing. And what, it be, <laughs> what Advent was to begin with was essentially Lent for Christmas. Uh, it was, you were to pray and fast and look at your heart and give up things between the beginning of December, or actually between the 30th of December, and I can't remember what the saint day is, 
and St. Martin's uh, fast or feast, which is right around Christmas time. And during this time, you were supposed to do this stuff. All of it leading up, although Christmas was in there, the big thing was January 6th, which was Epiphany, and that was when we did a lot of, at one point in time, that's when a lot of people got baptized, and a lot of big happenings happened in the church. And so, again, it, was, it became a time of preparation uh, for those things. By the time it became fairly established, and so this is 6, 700 A.D. when this begins to come. By the 16, 1500s, um, Advent looked a lot like what we do now. From the beginning, and even now, if we look at the Scripture that goes with and what goes with, Advent, is, Advent comes from the word Adventus, which is Latin, which is the Latin translation of the Greek word parousia, which means coming, arriving, incarnation. Now, that word parousia is used two different ways in the New Testament. The one that you're immediately thinking of because this time of year is Christ's incarnation. The birth in the manger, so on and so forth. There is another parousia, and that is the one we look forward to, and that is the second coming of the Lord. And these two ideas... From the beginning of Advent, and even now, if we, if we look at this, as we're going to in a second here, you will see that these two ideas remain intertwined. Christ has come. Christ is coming. And so what it came to be is the first two weeks of Advent, the first two weeks of the four before Christmas, we're focused on the second coming. Focusing on reflection of the heart, confession of sins, and prayer that Christ might come soon. How, how, many, how many of you folks, and you don't have to raise your hand, how many folks under 50 have ever prayed, Jesus come quickly? You know, the older you get, the more that's a thing for you. I can guarantee you. Um, I, I heard my parents pray that a lot as they got to the end of their life. Oh, I wish it would just happen now. That's not a thing for us in America. We, gotta, we have it very good in America, in South Dakota, in Huron. Our desire for something different, oh, there's going to be something better, is a little clouded because things aren't so bad right now. And we talk a lot about how bad things are, but we get that things aren't so bad. This was a focus for those folks, though. Come now. Come, Lord Jesus. And the second two weeks focused on 
essentially the Christmas story, the prophecy and the event. The purpose of having this intertwined, of looking at both comings of Christ, is to remind us of where we are. Where we are in history, where we are in time, where we are in the kingdom of God. We are between Christ has come, Christ has died. A sacrifice has been made. The victory's won. We're between the victory's been won and Christ coming back to claim his kingdom. By the 1600s, basically we were down to, and this varied anywhere from four to six Sundays, uh, but it's pretty much nowadays down to four Sundays and either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, depending on where it lands, is your advent. But it's really the four weeks before that are, are before Christmas Eve or Christmas. And so week one is based on hope. Okay? In the Advent wreath, it's called the prophet's candle. We've already read the scripture a couple times today that go with that. Traditionally, Isaiah 9 is the scripture that goes with that. Week 2 in the Advent is preparation. In the Advent wreath, it's called the Bethlehem candle. The traditional scripture for that comes from Isaiah 40. Specifically, or most frequently, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed to all flesh, and all flesh shall see it together, for the, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That is our hope. That is our preparation. John the Baptist, but the Word, the Word, preparation for the Word to be made flesh. Week three in Advent is joy and peace. In the Advent wreath, it's called the shepherd's candle. That usually comes from Luke 2. Specifically, <laughs> verses 8 and following. And this is a little long, but I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> uh, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. So the great and joyous announcement of the angels, of God's mighty direct messengers to the hired men out in the field. The hired men out in the field. Not Herod. Not the high priest. Not the Sanhedrin. Week four is love and adoration. In the Advent wreath, it's called the angel's candle. The scripture that traditionally goes with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Love and adoration, this is the day, this is the Sunday, we celebrate the fantastical, the unbelievable love God showed us in sending His Son to be our sacrifice, to take away our sin, to take away, indeed, the sin of the world. And then the fifth candle in the Advent wreath is the Christ candle. And usually we read the whole story in Luke chapter 2 for that. And I've talked about the Advent wreath, Advent candles. The Advent wreath, the way we know it now, appeared in eight weeks. We know when it happened. 1839 in Germany, a Lutheran minister, Johann Heinrich Wickern, made a wreath from a wagon wheel. He wrapped greens evergreen boughs around a wagon wheel. And around this wagon wheel, on the spokes, he put 20 red candles. And towards the center, he put four big candles, and in the center was one other. And the idea, and his idea with it, was for each day of Advent, you would light one of those red candles. And on the particular Sunday of Advent, you'd light one of those big candles. And on Christmas Day, in the end, you would. And so that, over the next 20-some days, 25 days from the beginning of, of December, that you would focus on the birth of your Savior, the birth of your King. It was round and evergreen, symbolizing that Christ is ever-living and never-ending. So some interesting little things there. 
I didn't know them, so I hope that maybe you did, and it's old hat to you, but for me, those were interesting things. And it was very interesting to understand, because I'd never quite put together that we weren't just thinking about Jesus coming at Christmas, but that we were also thinking about Jesus coming at the end. One of the most amazing, amazing things about celebrating the Advent and doing Advent candles or just having a particular Sundays and themes for them, of this type of thing, it is almost unique in that Catholics do this, mainline churches do this, non-denominational churches do this, Almost everyone in Christendom, to some extent or another, does this. And nobody's saying, well, they do that, so we can't do that. What's the focus? And indeed, some of what I wrote, or wrote, goodness, some of what I read was that one of the reasons for Advent becoming increasingly popular in the last century or so is that the church perhaps decided that instead of railing against consumerism, instead of trying to point out how secular Christmas had become, Perhaps we should just tell people what it's all about. Maybe we should spend some time making this a focus. So why does it matter? Why should we celebrate Christmas in this way? Well, for me, and this has been very much me-focused. This has been my journey with Christmas. But for all of us, and what becomes more clear to me every year, Christmas is not about the people in the story. It's not about the shepherds. It's not about the angels. It's not about Mary. It's not about Joseph. It's not about Herod or wise men. Christmas is about Christ. And so if I want to better understand Christmas, then I need to better understand Christ. If I want to better honor Christ, then I must actively seek and worship Him. If I'm to become the person Christ calls me to be, I have to do these things daily, not just at Christmas. So, like planting a tree, the best time to start on that journey is 50 years ago, right? The second best time to start is today. So this time, this Advent, this time of focusing on Christ, 
on His advent and on His second coming. This time of corporately looking at His birth and our anticipation of His return is a great place to begin or to renew or to continue that daily commitment to Him. It's a time to remind ourselves of the hope of our hope in Christ, of the preparation made for His coming, of the joy of His birth, and the love of the Father to give us such a gift. Today is the first day of Advent. I'm going to begin closing, just like Aaron, I'm going to begin closing, (laughs) by reading something to you from a a little uh, book, this Reflections on the Advent, written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Most of what's in here was written from Tegel concentration camp in Germany in the years between 1943 when he was interned there in 1945 when he was hung because he said that it was evil to kill others. It was evil to separate out others for death. First, so this is a little excerpt from a letter that, that he wrote to his parents November 29, 1943. We can and should also celebrate Christmas despite the ruins around us. I think of you now as you all sit together with the children with all the Advent decorations as in earlier years you did with us. We must do all this even more intensively because we do not know how much longer we have. The scripture that goes with this is from Revelation 3.20. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Here's the homily. The Advent season is season waiting. Jesus stands at the door knocking. In total reality comes in the form of the beggar, of the dissolute human child in ragged clothes asking for help. He confronts you and every person that you meet. As long as there are people, Christ will walk the earth as your neighbor, as the one with whom God calls you, speaks to you, makes demands on you. This is the great seriousness and great blessedness of the Advent message. Christ is standing at the door. He lives in the form of a human being among us. Do you want to close the door or open it? It may strike us as strange to see Christ in such a near face, but he said it, and those who withdraw from the serious reality of the Advent message cannot talk of the coming of Christ in their hearts either. Now listen. Christ is knocking. It's still not Christmas. But it's also still not the great last Advent the last coming of Christ. Through all of the advents of our life that we celebrate, run the longing of that last advent, when the world shall be, 
when the word shall be, see, I am making all things new. The Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is, a season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. As we think of these things, and especially as we think of the gift that we've been given, and the sacrifice that was made, Christ on the cross. And as I said before, today is the second best day ever to begin your walk with Christ or to renew your walk with Christ or for those who are faithful to Thank you for listening to Bethesda Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can find us online by visiting our website at www.bethesdahuron.com or you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Bethesda Huron.